Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. It costs five times more to get a new client than to keep one you already have. Today, Rick Elmore, founder and CEO of Simply Noted, elaborates on his commitment to customer retention and to his company's practice of over-delivery with our Market Dominance Guys host, Chris Beal. Rick believes that building relationships with clients is vital to any company's success. So he begins by onboarding each new customer himself, answering all the frequently asked questions, and personally checking back to make sure the customer's initial experience with Simply Noted's products and services is a happy one. When you're truly on your client's side, they'll hear it in your voice, Rick explains. Listen to this podcast, and you too will hear the commitment to customer retention in Rick's voice in today's Market Dominance Guys episode, Focus on Over-Delivery. Pretty fascinating. Here's a modern problem. So we have this massive work from home thing that showed up in 2020. We actually got to watch it like the day everybody went home in our customer base. We knew what day it was. It was like everything still worked, which was pretty cool. We thought that was amazing. Our people who navigate these phone calls all went home too. That shocked me that that worked. We dodged more than a bullet that particular day because at 200,000 plus dials navigated a day by human beings, you got to have people who can navigate yeah. those dials. And suddenly there were centers they were working in. We didn't know that had happened. But yeah. now I'm kind of looking at it going, okay, everybody's going to work from home. My wife's book, Love Your Team, A Survival Guide for Sales Managers in a Hybrid World, in a hybrid world means a bunch of people are working from home. How do you solve that problem of knowing how to get to them working from home? People send stuff to me in my office in Los Gatos, and I will go there something on the order of twice this year, maybe, partially because Mm -hmm. when you set foot in California, they tax you for that day of work, but for some other reasons too. What do you do there? How do I get my customers or even my team? So my innocent team, right? There they are. Mm -hmm. I got 10 SDRs and I got 10 AEs and they're talking to 85,000 people a year. How do they get that physical note to the right person? Yeah. How do they get the address part to happen? So most of our clients have addresses already. Work with tons of nonprofits, political affiliation, political action committees, real estate, mortgage, insurance. All these people usually have those addresses. But there are a lot of creative ways you can find people's address. What we've seen people do, we don't do it, is they'll find a list of people they want to contact, at least the city they live in. And then they'll hire VAs to scrape lists off of Reference USA, match names and addresses, or data axle, or property rate. I mean, there's tons of ways to find someone's address. But I would say majority of our clients already have this information. But if there is a need to find it, you can get creative and find it. It's just a little extra work, but hire a VA off of Upwork or Fiverr, give them a list, tell them here's the three web addresses to use to scrape and match names in, the, in cities and they do it. They do a good job. Interesting. Interesting. So in the B2B world, we live in B2B, right? We have a couple of customers use Connect and Sell for B2C. We're not hugely enthusiastic about it, even though it works mm-hmm. great because the regulatory surround on phone is non-trivial, right? Mm-hmm. And on 
business is call somebody. So B2B is kind of funny because getting their work address is probably easy. Getting it to their desk is probably easy. Are they ever at their desk is probably an unknown. Now, I suppose we could ask them, but what do you see in B2B? I want to get it to their home probably, I think. Who's doing B2B and how how are they doing it? B2B is a lot of medical software, corporate gifting, a lot of those types of companies. They usually have addresses and they're sending straight to the buildings. But if they want to get addresses, we just point them in the direction of how to do that. I'm trying to think of a good case study of somebody going B2B. Yeah, we had this CRM company for veterinarians. And what they did is they just sent a handwritten note to every veterinarian office. And it said, dear office manager, dear doctor, whoever was registered at that address. But if you have a more specific question on B2B, what type of industry, you know, I can probably pull up an example of some client we've worked with over the last four or five years. Sure. We can always be pioneers. I mean, in this space, we may as well try yours, right? No reason not to. I think it's fascinating, actually. I mean, we're all about this human touch element and breaking through the noise with the human touch. So that's what you're doing. We're doing it with the human voice, which goes straight into somebody's midbrain. I mean, you can't turn off a voice once it's coming in your ear. And now it's down to your skill. It's down to your tone of voice. It's down to you. Do you have a message that works? Do you know the psychology of the first seven seconds Uh, of the call? All that kind of stuff. The psychology behind a handwritten note is a hundred times more impactful than you believe. People appreciate it. You stop them in their tracks for seven to 10 seconds, right? You're engaging them on a level that they're not being engaged by anyone else. They're competing somewhere. Nowhere else is competing. But it's super impactful when you put something down that's tangible that they can hold in their hands. And the shelf life too, right? So we're going into the holidays right now. We're sending out tens of thousands. I think we're going to do somewhere near half a million holiday cards in the next six weeks. These have six to eight week shelf lives. What piece of material can you get in front of your customer's hands that's going to sit on their fridge, their counter, their mantle for eight weeks, right? Where they walk by and they're going to constantly see that and be reminded of you. Like that's real estate you can't buy right? In any other type of marketing form. So, and it's personal, it's impactful, and it can be measurable if you get creative with like QR codes and call tracking and driving traffic to landing pages and stuff like that. That's fascinating. It's fascinating. I really like it. Gosh, you got my little tiny wheels and my little tiny brain turning here. As you look into the future, you're doing pretty big numbers already. How big is this? You're attempting to bootstrap your way into what looks like a billion dollar TAM. Is that, am I getting that right? So we've been completely bootstrapped so far. Should make that in 5,000 this year, pending a couple orders. But the purpose of never getting funding was for a few reasons is one, how big can this be? I didn't want to give up too much too early. I knew that this was something that could be special if it was built right. And we've laid the the platform for getting the engagement, the footprint. We have the largest web traffic of anybody in our niche going to our website every single month, plus the technology. But my goal is to get it to somewhere close to eight figures in yearly revenue before we go get funding. But in order to go to from eight to nine figures in revenue, we're going to have to have a much more advanced platform and have more product offerings outside of just handwritten notes, and a little bit, maybe more gifts or something, something more digital, something that's more built out as an engagement platform where the handwritten notes is one of the tools that we offer. But yeah, I mean, we're 11 full-time employees. We're small, but mighty. And I think we've only had one employee leave our company in the last three years. So everybody's really committed. It's a really strong family atmosphere here. Everybody looks out for each other. We use tons of VAs. I have this method. 
trying to remember who it was, but they taught me basically like you mind dump all your information you need done about a job. You wait 30 minutes, you come back, you reorganize it, you build systems and processes and just scale your work that way versus trying to come on and try to hand teach everybody. So the Michael E. Gerber built to sell really impacted me work on your business versus working in your business. So yeah, we're just excited. We're way too early to think about funding because we're just getting done with a huge project of building our machines into manufacturing. Now, thirty, forty, $50,000 checks I was cutting for engineering. Now we can put that into operating expenses, growth capital, PPC. My PPC budget's been only $800 a month for the first four years. We have like literally nothing. We have people who spend $50,000 a month. So we're excited. Like we're just scratching the surface of our potential for sure. Oh, fantastic. By the way, our PPC budget is zero. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. remember we met with Google once. We were once called over to Google and they wanted to talk to us about something we'd done for them. And the something we'd done for them actually helped them shut a business down. So, yeah. they prevented themselves from going too far down the road. Because when you talk to people, you get quick intelligence as to whether a business makes sense. And they yeah. decided, not to compete in that particular space as a money loser. So yeah. they wanted to tell us, this is Google's idea of an award. They wanted just to have us come over and say, hey, you're our vendor of the year. What do we get for that? Well, well nothing. We just wanted to tell a you. certificate, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, not, not even that. But, <laughs> but it, was, it was funny because during that conversation, their very, 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 very senior guy who was there said, do you realize you're the only Silicon Valley company that we're aware of that doesn't pay Google one penny? Wow. I said, yes, and we intend to. Keep I, had a, I had a mentor once tell me Google is God. There's a lot of power there, but a lot of scary power. They have the power to take away a lot of traffic. I remember two years ago, we signed up an SEO company, just organic stuff, and they were doing some shady backlinking, and we actually got dinged, and they literally tank you. And it's just overnight, we were getting all this traffic, and it goes down to 90% less. It scares you. Yeah, yeah. And Google did it. Like they just stop indexing your stuff. They take it off. They push you down rankings. And it's just like, oh my gosh. So yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. tricky. I mean, there's an element of of independence that you want to keep from that, but you need mm -hmm. it anyway. We've avoided it because of the nature of Rel our business. We just Rel call people. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah, that's the thing. You got to get people to believe in you, buy into you. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. We're really lucky. We don't have a, you know, you do have people that are price shoppers, but my background was building relationships. So I obsess when we bring on business accounts. I call them, a, I onboard them personally, and it's probably not the right thing to do, but I have to make sure everything goes good and call them after the order. What did you like? What didn't you like? Right. Obsessed to make sure everybody's happy. Well, to me, you're doing it right. It's obvious I've been doing this stuff for three quarters of a million years. And I still am involved at that level in the business. Somebody the other day was saying, you know, we kind of like CEOs to put their feet up and look out the window and think big thoughts. I'm going, well, when I put my feet up and look out the window, I have a blank mind. But when I engage with something like, why is this person getting hung up on? I had one yeah. yesterday. Guys getting hung up on. Mind you, 200 and something thousand dollars a day. There's a lot going on. But there was something about this one that I just thought... This is not a tech problem. There's a subtle problem hiding in there, and I won't learn it unless I jump in and have a look. So went in and had a look, listened to his conversations. It turned out on his follow-up calls, he was getting hung up on the easy calls. Why? Mm -hmm. Because he was so confident on the easy calls, he was talking for eight to nine seconds before he let the other person say anything, and he was getting hung up on. Is he aware of it? Of course not. So I made a little coaching 
email forum, showed him the wave forums. This is where you're talking. By the way, when you're on a cold call, you let him talk in three quarters of a second. Actually, it's about a second and a half. But on these follow-up calls, the easy ones, you're going too far. I learned something, which is now I've got one of my data engineers looking through all the data for a particular pattern of short call, long call, but nothing in between. And we'll go find those, and then we'll be able to proactively help those customers. I don't think you learn anything in business by having somebody else do something and tell you mm-hmm. how it went. You got to get your hands dirty, right? You got to have that experience. So when you talk about it, you can talk confidently about it. So you talk from an understanding, not from just memorization or somebody else telling you what to say. Yeah, when people put together presentations for you, you know the purpose of the presentation, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not to move the business forward. So that's all there is to it. I mean, you'd love it if it were true, but what's in it for them? Well, you're the boss. You're, as I say, we belong to the Lonely Minds Club here in the CEO biz. At the Lonely Minds Club means people think we have no hearts. We do, but we don't dare to let them simply rule. You can bring mm-hmm. them out, but you can't let them rule. And second is it's lonely because everybody who works for you, regardless how close they are to you personally or professionally, is obliged to lie to you at the margins in ways that do not feel like lying. Mm -hmm. They're obliged to because you have this concentration of power that's fundamentally corrupt and there's nothing they can do about it except adapt for their own safety. Yeah. It's a problem. It's a problem. I like that lonely minds club. I like that analogy. <laughs> That's what we're in. But from being on the other side and not being on this side, I totally understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, some of us can't kind of handle that thing where we're reporting to somebody, whatever that means. I always yeah. thought that was a funny term anyway. What am I reporting to? Yeah. Am I supposed to not know it myself? As you look at the next stage of this, you mentioned adding products. That's one kind of thing. Do you operate truly globally now? Do you feel like people are writing notes in French and everything else under the sun? Is all that happening? Yeah, we can. I would say 99% of our business is here in North America. But yeah, we definitely would have to expand globally to, to reach the ambitions that I have for this company. But to do that, we would need to expand globally as well. So we would need a production facility in the UK, Australia, China, just so these are not having national stamps on them. So like you ship from the US to Australia, it has a ginormous international stamp, right? And that's a problem because it's be like, why did this handwritten note from John who lives a mile from me be shipped from the States? And it took three weeks to get there. But yeah, then it takes like three weeks and it has a big international stamp on it. Does make sense. So in order to expand globally, revenue is going to have to be a lot higher. We're going to have to have some channel partners spread out throughout the globe to make sure that happens. But yeah, that's definitely a vision. Yeah, it's always so tricky to get to that unit of expansion when you're expanding globally. It's suddenly you're carving out part of the overhead of the core business. You're adding a lump of pure overhead because it's always going to take a while to get going. And then you're also adding the risk of unfamiliarity, the things mm-hmm. you don't know that you will find out. <laughs> All yeah, you know and- is you don't know them. <laughs> And that's the thing. I think we would expand through acquisition because there are some smaller little mom and pop companies trying to do this across the globe, but they're using really outdated technology. And what we would do is basically come in and basically give them a a business in a box and say, hey, here's our technology. Here's our systems. Here's our software. This is how we have built an eight-figure business. More like a franchise, right? And say, hey, like we'll start feeding you business, but we're going to acquire you in your business, but we're going to make your business a lot better with our technology and our platform. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely the pie in the sky where we want to go, but 
there's just so much business just here in the U.S. I mean, there's like 60 or 70 billion with a B pieces of first-class mail sent here in the U.S. And that's not including marketing mail. So if we get to 50 million pieces a year, it's a fraction of a fraction of possibilities. So yeah, yeah and we're excited about it. And plus, it's a new tool. That's why I always tell our clients, your clients put food on your table. We always try to tell them to work on the relationship, right? Because it's cost five times more to acquire a new client. If you have good customer appreciation, you make them feel appreciated. They're going to make repeat purchases. They're going to tell their friends. They're easy to upsell, right? It's easy to sell a new offering to a current client who feels appreciated. And then if they don't, right, they just, they'll go price shopping and go somewhere else. So yeah, we think we have a cool tool to build relationships and build loyalty and trust for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Might not even be a tool. Might be a weapon. Never alone. That's what we're into. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tools, that's for gardening. We use weapons to dominate markets. Right? Yeah. That's where yeah. it's at. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. <laughs> And we're back. So I have a question about the thing that came up last night. So I was talking to somebody who was here having dinner and for her own privacy, I won't say who it is. And she said, that's such a cool idea. I once got a job based on one and only one thing, which is I wrote a handwritten note and nobody else did back to the person I interviewed with, Mm -hmm. but I wanted it delivered that day. So I couldn't get that to happen easily. So what I did is I hand wrote the note and then I took a picture of it in my hand and I sent it to the person and said, hey, I would send you this, but it's going to take too long to get there. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted to express my appreciation for the interview that we did today and for the thoughtful questions you have and blah, blah, blah. It was something intelligently handwritten. So it struck me as the most unusual hybrid. It's like, in a way, it's guaranteed to have been personal because she's holding it in her hand and taking a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And yet the delivery was instantaneous. And, and it was a B2B thing, even though she was, and she's a business, so to speak. Does anybody yeah. do that kind of crazy stuff? So I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Expanding our platform is having a digital aspect, engaging them through text or email or socially. I mean, there's a lot of cool tools out there now that we can leverage APIs to scrape information and pull it into our platform to engage them with a personalized email somehow with some type of creative copy or message or picture, send a text message, hit them up on LinkedIn or their social accounts. So I think that's a really creative thing to do. Write the note, take a picture, send it, right? It's kind of witty and personal at the same time. But that's what I'm talking about. Expanding our platform is doing something like that, where you can have type in your message. Our system would create the note impose it on a mock-up image for you, where it looks like it was just handwritten. And then you can send like a text message, right? So Yeah, that platform idea is definitely the future of expanding and growing this to a much bigger business. But yeah, that's just a really cool way that that person stood out for sure. I can think of some twists and turns around this. For instance, in a a book in Kindle, like when a wife Helen's book comes out on the first, right? I'll buy a Kindle edition for 99 cents because that's what you can do for up to the end of the week. And they have the ability to make a little poster. So the Kindle app, I use mine on my iPhone and I can highlight a sentence or whatever and then go share it and they'll make a little poster and post it on LinkedIn. 
And it comes with the citation of the book and a link to the book so you can buy the book. So it's kind of a full viral loop, right? The poster's cool, but the poster is just whatever font they have and whatever. If the poster were handwritten, if it were actually handwritten, <laughs> and it were a picture and it went up on LinkedIn, that would be cooler, I think. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're doing runs of a few. I mean, literally, can you do a run of one where it's yeah. completely unique? Yeah, so we help you send one send hundreds, thousands are automated. So our website's more like an e-commerce platform. Go on there, pick a card, type your message, check out. That's really not a big part of our business. We make some money on that, but it's not really the money makers. Really why we do that is to allow people to try us out. Send one or two, see how you like it before you really kind of dive in with two feet. It just gives them the ability to get a good feel. Yeah, I would say the majority of the people we work with are businesses. I would say it's like the high 80% of our clients are businesses. We're working on projects with them. They're automating it, seasonal like things, holidays, anniversaries. Yeah, we definitely allow anybody to use our platform as of right now. Got it. Do you follow or know Stu Heineke? Mm-mm. Okay, no. so Stu has written a couple books. He wrote a book called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. He wrote another book, just wrote it called How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed. I think you really like this book, and I think you'll like Stu. Stu's the guy who will send you a phone board with a cartoon that he's drawn on it that's funny, and it's about you. And he'll send that to a senior executive to get a meeting, that kind of stuff. He's Mm -hmm. a genius about this. He's a Wall Street Journal cartoonist. He's one of the nicest human beings on earth, by the way. Highly recommend. Just reach out to Stu and tell him that. I have to write his name down. Let me get done with this. Yeah, Yeah, I'll get that. Stu Heineke. And just seems like a lot of what you're doing fits in with the Stu Heineke way of looking at the world. Plus, you've done your business his way, right? His point is, look, weeds figure out how to grow in the middle of cracks and freeways. Like, get over it. You know what? I always look at that when I'm on runs. You'll see those. And it's actually, to me, really inspiring. Like, there's a will, there's a way. We've fought through a lot of challenges over the last four years, but I've always felt that way. And when I see that, that is a nature's example of exactly what I'm going through right now. There's a will, there's a way, and that hits home for sure. Yeah, check out his business, his book, and check him out. He lives up on Whidbey Island, up in part of uh, the Olympic Peninsula, off the Olympics in the San Juans. Brilliant, brilliant guy, nice person, and you're doing it, which is what's so interesting, but you're also enabling it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's an example of kind of a seed pod strategy. Stu's a guy who would talk about your business, and that's an awesome thing. Right. And he would talk about it in the right way, too, because he's got a huge audience. And so I highly recommend reaching out to him and kind of seed potting up. So simply noted, become something that he uses an example, because when Stu uses an example of how to grow your business like a weed and it's you, people are going to go after it. And he's kind of speaking Mm -hmm. to your audience, those businesses that have a lot of outreach to do in order to get things to happen. So highly recommend. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. But I want to come by sometime and watch the robots do their thing just down the road in Tucson. So we'll, we'll be do great. That They're a little pen wielding army. It's a little army of robots. You'll love it. It is really fascinating for sure. That'll be cool. And then someday we should do a little test drive. Did You said you do a little cold calling before we got on. That's all. I mean, yeah, that's one of the, the major ways that we started this business was just getting on the phone. I mean, I went through the BNI, the Chamber of Commerce, some of the EO stuff for networking, but really it's, we've used our product, a lot of social email and cold calling. I mean, that's, if we have nothing to do, we're on the phone smiling and dialing. So I need to talk to you about what you guys are doing because it's definitely something that is a major cornerstone in our business for growing. 
Yeah, I mean, what we do is so simple. We can talk about it, but it literally is you push a button, talk to somebody in your list in, in a couple of minutes. And while yeah. that's going on, you don't have to do anything. You can do something else. Yeah, I mean, we have a dialer. I mean, you can make 100 calls an hour, but there's a way to make it even more efficient. Oh, yeah. 100 calls an hour, that's crawling. <laughs> we, don't, we don't talk about little numbers like that. That's too weak. Plus, you got to pay attention when it goes to a voicemail or whatever. You got to be paying attention. Yeah. Thing you pay no attention. You just hit the button. I was on with small business up in Canada today. We do this thing called an intensive test drive. And it's basically you get it for a full day of production and it's live. We don't do demos. We don't do any of that stuff. It's live. It's your list. It's your people or you or whatever. And one of the principles I asked him, like, did you hate it? And he said, I didn't hate it, but it scared me pretty bad and I'm still sweating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds intense. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we call it the intensive test drive for a reason. Now, you really like it with your approach to things. You have a blast with it. And the fact is, that sincerity you talked about being on their side, it comes through in the voice. Yeah. And it is the one thing, when you kind of look at it, people don't make buying decisions based on the facts. They make buying decisions based on one thing, which is they grow to trust you more than they trust themselves with this decision. Mm-hmm. Anthony Iannarino opened his latest book. It's called Elite Sales Strategies. And he actually quoted me without telling me, which shocked me. So the opener of the book is a quote from me that says, people buy from people they trust to yep. make a decision they don't trust themselves to make. Yeah, That's why they buy, right? And we know that trust is a subtle psychological thing. It's not, it's such a big deal. It's so dangerous to trust somebody that we're, yep. we're wired to not do it, but we're also wired to do it when it's done right. And just listening to you and thinking about, how you truly are on their side and they'll hear it in your voice. I mean, you, your successful career in sales, a lot of it's got to be predicated on that. That first conversation, when they're done, they're going, hey, Rick Elmore knows what he's talking about and he's on my side. He's an expert and he's on my side. Yeah. I trust him more than I trust myself, right? So yeah. that's what our whole thing is about. Yeah, and- I just focus on over-delivering. I'm going to make it right no matter what. Make sure you have a good experience. I remember when I first got into sales, my first manager at Stryker, he sent me to a Dale Carnegie sales training thing. And I learned a lot there. Like you were just saying, people will listen to people they like, but they'll buy from people they trust. I remember that's something they taught me. But yeah, that's definitely a 100% true in sales. Anything in business, people are going to buy from people they trust for sure. Right. And how much they trust them. This is something I'm convinced that we've kind of figured out. Everybody always said you got to be trusted more than your competitor. Your competitor is always do nothing. So how do you be trusted more than do nothing? That's really interesting. For me, I invest a lot in social proof. So it's getting good reviews, getting out there and having people seeing us, people talk about us that aren't us, right? So even if I'm telling you something, go out and search it and see what else somebody else is saying about us. So that's another good thing. When I was a rep, it wasn't really that important. But when you own a business, you got to make sure other people are saying nice things about you outside of your own walls, inside your building. (laughs) Inside the echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rick, thanks so much for coming on to Market Dominance, guys. Corey didn't join us. He must have business he's doing. He's always off there hustling too. Us old guys continue to hustle. There's no wage limit to it. When you come right down to it, you don't build these things to sell them. You build it because... Frankly, we don't know what else to do with ourselves, so we just do it. And uh, I'm super excited about your business. And gosh, you don't need my good wishes, but I'll wish you all the best anyway, because I think you're just going to blow it all away. 
I appreciate it, Chris. It was an honor to be on your show and to share this with you guys. So thank you so much. All right. Well, until next time, and we have no idea what episode this is, might be two, might be three of them. This is Chris Beal for Rick Elmore. Thanks for being on and the absent but brilliant Corey Frank. And I'm sure we'll see him again someday. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.